Good morning. Welcome to the Lord's house. Will you stand with us? Let's sing together. Worship team, awesome. How's everyone doing today? Good morning. It's so good to have you here with us. It's good to have you back here in this place, this very special place to us. Capitol Church is our home, and it's so good to be here united as the body of Christ, celebrating 
all that Jesus has done for us. From the day he saved our soul to the moment he calls us home, it, we get to celebrate his goodness and live in his presence. And I'm so thankful for that. And I'm so thankful that I have a church that I can come to and I can learn and grow and know Jesus more every single time I step through the doors. I'm so thankful for that. It's, I'm so glad that you're here. If you're a first-time guest, thank you so much. Or if you've been here a couple times, welcome back. All right? And those online, thank you so much for tuning in. It's good to have you. But right now, I'm going to ask you to stand right back up, and we're going to ask God's, for God's anointing here on our service today. Great to have you. Um, hope you had an awesome week. Let's have an awesome Sunday. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. And again, so thank you. So thankful for you and your love for us, God. As, as your people, we get to come here and, and learn from you. And so, Lord, I pray over these next few moments that we are here together in this room, that as we continue to, to worship, we celebrate you and we're, we give thanks to you and we rejoice for what you have done and, and the grace and the mercy that you've given to us. But then also, God, as the word is preached, as Brother Will gives this message today, you have something special for us. You have something that we need to hear. And I pray so earnestly right now that you prepare our hearts and you make a way to let your truths in. I pray all the distractions be put off to the side, all of our worries and anxieties, all the things that maybe we're looking forward to maybe later on today or whatever. God, we just put all that stuff off to the side and we just focus on you. Lord, we love you and I'm so thankful that you call us your own. I'm so thankful that as a father, you want to continue to guide us and, and celebrate us and, and to love us and cherish us and teach us, God. So thankful. So Lord, bless this service. Bless the teaching of your word. We love you in your name. Amen. Let's continue to worship.
Jesus told his disciples when, before he went to heaven, I'm not going to leave you here alone. I'm not going to leave you here to try to figure things out all by yourself. He promised us a comforter. He promised us the Holy Spirit to come and to guide us and to teach us truth. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17 and 18 says, For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed, all of us who follow Christ, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into his glorious image. The next song, Holy Spirit, that we're gonna sing, there's a phrase in the verse that says, there's nothing that can compare. There's nothing that even comes close to what life is like to have the presence of God in our lives and to have that Holy Spirit that guides us and leads us and teaches us about truth. It says that our hearts can become free and our shame is undone. When the Holy Spirit is ruling in our lives and he's speaking and he's convincing us that he speaks the truth, our shame is undone. All of us have shame. All of us have things that we wish we hadn't done. And the devil tries hard to lord that over us. But there is freedom in Jesus Christ. And when we know him and that veil is removed, we can have freedom like no other, and we can live for him. Thank God for the presence that we share, right? Thank God for the Holy Spirit who guides us and leads us in truth.
Holy Spirit. As Brother Will brings the message, Lord, I pray that your spirit would just have freedom to move in this place and that it would that it would touch lives and that it would touch hearts and, and that it would change people. God, I pray that as we open ourselves up to you, that, that you would just make us more like you. Make us love people like you and see people like you and forgive people like you, like you do. God, we're thankful for your presence in our lives, for your direction, and for your protection. I pray that you just would continue to move. In your name, amen. team. Give them a big hand. Appreciate their hard work and leadership. Good to have you today. Glad that you're here. August, man, this is August. That means school's about to start. and We've got some people who are taking that last minute vacation. If you could go anywhere right now, be anywhere else, where would you be? Kavanaugh Church. Thank you, man. That's where I'd like to be right here. Hey, I'm here, and so are you. Welcome to the Lord's house. Glad that you're here. Those watching online, we're glad that you're with us. Balcony people. Balcony people, are you there? All right, good deal. Fantastic. Floor people, are you here? There you go. That's how you do it. Balcony people, I'll give you one more chance. Balcony people. You know, you know why it's not as loud? It's not that there's not as many. It's just they're further away and we can't hear them. Hey, we're coming to the end of our series on 10 values that build strong families. These are the Ten Commandments, and uh, my prayer is that you would build your family on the firm foundation of God's values and His words. It, it, it is hard to raise kids in the world in which we live, and so uh, Jason, Joy, you know you got four boys you're raising from, from young to older, and uh, man, they need stability in their life. They, they need a firm foundation, and it's God's Word, God's values. And today we're coming to the last of the Ten Commandments. If, the, if, if you've been here the whole time, give yourself a... If you've heard all nine of them so far, give yourself... Okay, good deal. And if you've come off scot-free on the first nine, and think, you know what? I'm, I'm doing all those. Everything's good. Get ready, my friend, because number ten is going to trip you up, all right? L last week we talked about... Um, not uh, lying against our neighbors, telling the truth to our neighbors. So it introduced the subject of our neighbors, and today's commandment is along that same line with our neighbors. Now, you know who your neighbor is, don't you? Everybody. We're all neighbors, okay? So generally, it's speaking about all people. What does commandment number 10 say? Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not... Say that again. You shall not your neighbor's house, you shall not your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, that's either his John Deere or his GMC pickup truck, 
nor anything that belongs to your neighbor. So let me summarize commandment number 10. You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. So let's begin by talking about this word covet because it's at the center of commandment number 10. What is coveting? Well, I've come up with a working definition for coveting. What is coveting? Read this out loud. The uncontrolled desire to acquire. Good working definition. What is coveting? Okay. Now, the desire to acquire is really not bad in and of itself. In fact, God has given all of us that desire to acquire things, right? God made squirrels, right? Squirrels have the desire to acquire nuts. They're always looking for nuts. God made birds, right? Birds have the desire to acquire straw so that they can build nests, God made all kinds of wonderful, beautiful, exciting, fun things, and he has put inside of you the desire to acquire these things. And that's not bad. The problem is, is when it becomes uncontrollable. We have this uncontrollable desire to acquire things. And when that happens, we are breaking commandment number 10. We are coveting things that we should not be coveting. It's really hard in our culture to be, with, to be content with what we have. Would you agree with that? Because it's really antisocial to be content. Why? Because that doesn't sell products. It's not publicized. It's not talked about. And it's really hard for us to learn contentment. This morning, I want us to look at the different effects of always wanting things. What is going to happen in your life if you have this desire to acquire and it becomes uncontrollable? Well, the Bible says bad things are going to happen in your life if you're always coveting, if you're always desiring those things that you cannot have. And we're going to look at five of them today. Five bad effects of always wanting more. Number one, it's going to wear you out. If you're always wanting more and always driving and pushing to have more, you're going to be fatigued. What does Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4 say? Do not wear yourself out trying to be rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. In other words, the Bible is saying it's really dumb to wear yourself out just trying to have more stuff. It's the push to have more. And can I say, never in the history of the world has mankind been pushed like our society has to have more stuff. We overwork ourselves. We push ourselves. We get a second job and a third job. We make all our kids go to work and everybody in the house is working. It is this material rat race to make more money so we can buy more stuff. And you know what that's going to do? It's going to wear you out. And we've already talked about this in one of the previous commandments. But God did not make the human body to run 100 miles an hour, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You've tried it, haven't you? 
and you wear yourself out, you get sick, you can't do it. It's going to fatigue you. You're going to become tired, and you're just going to get short-tempered around the people that you need to be patient with. Amen. Amen. So what are the effects of always wanting more? Number one, you're going to be worn out. Number two, you're going to build up debt. Ecclesiastes 5.11 tells us, the more money you have, the more money you spend. How about a big amen for that? Did you know that coveting destroys budgets? We think the problem is, I just don't make enough money. No, that's not the problem. The problem is that you don't just make enough money. The problem is you want too much. You want more than you can afford. It's not that you don't make enough money. You just want too much. A lot of things that we think are needs are really not needs. They're greeds. Are you with me? Did you know the average American puts $1,300 in debt to every $1,000 they make? And you can't do that for very long because that's deficit spending. And the only people that I know that can get away with deficit spending is the United States government. Okay? And, and they're not going to get away with it forever because it doesn't work that way. So because we want more, we get further and further in debt. It costs more to have more. Pretty simple, right? And the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. I realize that. But their water bill is a lot more too. So what are the effects of always wanting more? Number one, you're going to wear yourself out. Number two, you're going to build up a debt that you can't pay. And number three, you're going to worry all the time. Now, some of you have that nature anyway, but having more stuff causes you to worry even more. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 12. A working man can get a good night's sleep, but the rich man has so much that he stays awake Worrying. Wow, isn't that the truth? When we focus on things, inevitably we're going to worry about things. The more you have, the more you have to worry about. How am I going to protect it? How am I going to save it? How am I going to invest it? How am I going to insure it? How am I going to avoid paying taxes on it? How am I going to keep from losing it? The more you have, the more you have to worry about. I recently read a study that tells us insomnia increases with wealth. And you add these three together. You add fatigue, debt, and worry together, and you come up with the fourth one, and that is conflict. I want you to listen to what James said, James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? Those desires to have what you want. Conflict comes when we're always wanting more. I can remember 20, 24, 25, 26 years ago, we lived in Plano, Texas. I was, I was traveling across the metroplex. I remember where I was going. I was going to Arlington, Texas from Plano. And it doesn't really matter the, the miles. What matters are the minutes that it takes you. 
when you're driving in the Metroplex. It's all about time because you can get in traffic jams and sit in the same place for 30 minutes, all right? So I was driving from Plano to Arlington. I was listening to Christian talk radio, and the guy on the radio said, hey, uh, we're going to take a commercial break, but right before we do, I want to ask you the question, what is it that causes more divorces amongst Christians? Hang on to that, and I'll come back and tell you the answer right after this commercial break. And so the commercial came on, and I said out loud in the car by myself, driving to Arlington, Texas, number one cause of divorce, adultery. It's got to be adultery. A little bit later, he came back on. He said, I bet you thought it was adultery. (laughs) He said, it's not adultery. The number one cause of divorce amongst Christians is over financial stress, financial conflict, and problems with money, financial tension. Arguments over money, arguments over possessions. You know what? Probably true. Probably true. Dave Ramsey talks about it. But you know what? Let's turn it around to the commandment and to the neighbor thing. Here's the way it works here. When you have what I want, there's going to be conflict over it. Or let me turn even that around. When I have something you want and you're coveting what I have, eventually there's going to be conflict. Now, you may think my wife is pretty, and you're right. She's beautiful, absolutely gorgeous. I would agree with you. Yes, my wife is beautiful. But if you take that to the extreme and you start coveting my wife, can I tell you something? We're going to have conflict. Because she ain't your wife. She's my wife. Your neighbor may have a really, really sharp pickup truck. And I mean, every time you you walk out of your house and get in your old piece of junk, you look over there at your neighbor's truck and you think, man, man. You know what? If you push that to the extreme and you start coveting your neighbor's pickup truck, and you take it to the extreme, there's going to be conflict between you and your neighbor. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says don't covet what is somebody else's. Don't covet specifically somebody else's job, their car, their house, their wife, their husband. God says don't do it because if you do it, there's going to be conflict. And then number five, The effects of coveting brings dissatisfaction to your life. Ecclesiastes 5.10, you will never be satisfied if you long to be rich because you will never get all that you want. Living Bible says it's foolish to think wealth brings happiness. Why? Because things can't bring happiness. Oh, they might just for a minute, for a little while, but the thrill doesn't last. The excitement wears off. You, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you, you've been eyeing that thing on Amazon.com. You've been, every day you've been going and looking at it and comparing it and, you know, picking out the one exactly that you want. And so you say, you pull the button, you say, I'm going to get it. And so you buy it and then they ship it to you and, and you're just watching the shipment on it. And you see that it went to St. Louis and then the next day it's in Phoenix and thinking, why did they do that? That doesn't make any sense. Then it's in Dallas, and it's up in Kansas City. But you're watching it every day, and finally it says, out for delivery. 
And so you leave work early to be at home when the UPS guy gets there. And you get the package and you bring it in, you set it on the table and say, can't wait, I can't wait. You get the little knife, open the knife to open the box and you cut it open. You, anticipation, you open it up, you oh, it's exactly what I thought it was. It's exactly what I've been wanting. It's exactly what I've been needing. And you love it. But then a month later, you don't even remember where you put it. Are you with me? Because the, the thrill is gone. You're bored with it. You're, you're bored with that new piece of art. You're bored with that new piece of furniture. You're bored with that new pickup truck. Why? Why don't things keep you permanently happy? Well, I, th I think I've come up with a reason. It's because things don't change. Now, human beings like change. If things don't change, we get bored with them. That's why there is this thing called style and fashion. It's just constantly changing. You know? David, I'm showing my age here, but I can remember as a, as a kid, what was in is just, just straight Levi's. I mean, they were just straight, from top to bottom straight. Then when I got a little older, bell-bottoms came in. Big old flare bell-bottoms. Cover up your shoes with bell-bottoms. We bought them at the Navy surplus store. I'm, can I, I, I don't even know why I'm thinking of this, but Mama, Mama took Shreda and I to the Navy surplus store to buy us bell bottoms. I was just a little kid. Billy, back then, I had really long hair. I mean, my hair was, it literally it was down past my shoulders. And I had on these bell bottom pants. I was thinking I was cool, 11 years old, 12 years old. I was one cool dude. And this lady was in line with her daughter, and she was looking at my sister and I, and she looked right at me, and she said, oh, aren't her pants cute? Then they went to bootcut jeans. Then they went to tight jeans. Now I guess it's holy jeans with holes in them. Yeah. Styles change. Why? Because we get bored. Hairstyles change. Remember, I was looking at pictures the other day. This, this uh, guy on Facebook that, you know, a friend of mine, and probably about my same age, and, and it showed his, his, his wedding pictures. And I, I just laughed because back then, it, all the girls had the same hairdo. That that I don't what was it called big hair poofy <laughs> hair you know all the guys had the bangs you know and that was the style but it's not the style now long hair short hair no hair you know styles change hmm and because those things don't change we get bored with them and we got to have something new pretty soon Pretty soon you either have to redecorate or remodel or repair or replace or at least rearrange it because you become bored with it. Things can't bring permanent happiness. I mean, can you remember what you got for Christmas? Can you ever remember that great Christmas gift? No, you can't remember because it was thrilling for a moment, but it lost its thrill and we can't even remember. Things don't bring happiness. It's a temporary thrill. And coveting is the number one reason we have dissatisfaction in our world today. So what is the antidote to coveting? 
contentment, just being content with what we have. But that's not any fun. Paul says this in Philippians, I've learned the secret of being content, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, that's really interesting that Paul says it this way. He says, I've learned the secret to being content, because it doesn't come naturally. Being content doesn't come naturally for me, and I don't think it comes naturally for you. It's something that has to be learned. And Paul says, I've I've learned the secret of being content. It it is a process of education that God takes us through. And, And one of the ways that you realize and learn contentment is is by understanding the effects of coveting. We just talked about them. If all you do is covet, you're going to wear yourself out. You're going to get in debt. You're going to worry all the time. There is going to be conflict with other people, and you're going to be dissatisfied constantly. None of those things are good. I don't want to live like that, do you? So we need to learn. No, no, learn. Learn contentment. Learn to be content. So how do we do that specifically? Three ways. I'm finally at my sermon. I'm finally getting to the middle. Just three ways, but they're going to go fast. So I haven't lost you, have I? You there? Write these three things down. Here is how we can learn contentment. Number one, resist the temptation of comparing myself to somebody else. Because comparing always leads to coveting. 2 Corinthians 10.22, we do not dare classify or compare ourselves. It's not wise. Paul is saying that. He's talking about people who are always comparing themselves with each other. They're comparing their work to somebody else's work, their words to somebody else's words, their position to somebody else's position. And Paul says, don't do it. It's not wise. The Greek is, it's dumb to do that. If you're comparing yourself, house, cars, jobs, looks, clothes, the Bible says it's it's stupid to do that. It's not wise. God says all you're going to do if you constantly compare yourself is create dissatisfaction. So here's the acid test of whether or not we're doing this. How do you react when somebody around you gets something that's nicer than you? Let's let's say this. How how do you react when your neighbor gets a brand new car? And you really like it. Do do you say, I wish I had that? Or do you say, boy, I'm so glad for them. Good for them. Great for them. How do you react when somebody that is close to you gets a nicer house or they have prettier shoes or a better haircut? I don't know. One of the greatest lessons you can learn is this lesson right here. We need to learn to admire without having to acquire. What a great lesson. Say say that out loud with me. Read it with me. Learn to admire without having to acquire. I don't have to own everything to enjoy it. 
If the only things you enjoy are the things that you own, let me tell you, you're going to be miserable because you can't own everything. Learn to admire without having to acquire. It brings up another question. Why in the world do we compare anyway? Well, we compare because in our society, that's the way we keep score. We keep score with possessions because we're so insecure. We've always got to look around and ask, well, how am I doing? Like our net worth and self-worth are the same. You can, it doesn't work that way. They're not the same. Your worth, your self-worth has absolutely nothing to do with your net worth. You can be a millionaire and a jerk. And you can be as poor as just plain light bread and just as wonderful as you can be. So don't compare network with self-worth. You can I tell you, parents, grandparents, this is your job. Teach your kids, you know what? There, there are things much more important than having a degree, getting a good job, making a lot of money, having a big house and a boat and all kinds of guns and golf clubs and stuff. Now, let me ask, let me ask is there anything wrong with any of those things that I talked about? No. Go get a good degree. I hope you get a great job. I hope you have a big house. I hope you have a nice car, and, and if you can afford it, a big boat. That's great, man. Have those things. But don't teach your kids that your self-worth is all about your net worth, because it's not. You need to teach your kids what really matters is who you are on the inside. That character and integrity and self-worth and hard work and dignity, those are the things that matter. What really matters the most is your relationship with Jesus Christ. So how do I learn contentment? Number one, resist the temptation to compare myself with other people. Number two, rejoice in what I do have. Appreciate what you've got and be grateful to God. Open your eyes to all the wonderful things God has given you. I want you to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 19. If God gives a man wealth and property, he should be grateful and enjoy what he has. Why? Because it's a gift from God. God says, I want you to enjoy every good gift that I have given to you. And you know what? It's all a gift from God. And can, can, can you just say right now, praise the Lord. Because God's gifted you. You've got all kinds of stuff, man. Go home today and just walk through your house. Look in every closet. If you want to, climb up in the attic. Don't stay up there long because you'll die of heat stroke. But just look around at all the junk you got in your attic. Go out to your garage. Go out to your shed. Look at all the stuff God's blessed you with. The poorest person at Kavanaugh Church is richer than 90% of the people on planet Earth. God has been so good to us. Wow. Rejoice in what you've got. We get into a trap that I call when and then thinking. Now, how does when and then thinking go into effect? How how does it work? Well, it, it goes something like this. We say, when I get, and then you fill in the blank, when I get whatever it is, then I'll be happy. No, you won't. 
No, you won't. It, do, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it, you fill in the blank. You're not going to be happy. Oh, you might be happy for a little bit, but it's not going to last because something else is going to come along. You know what? They're going to make a different version iPhone next year. <laughs> and even though you've had the first, I don't know, 42 versions of iPhone, just be happy with what you have. What are you waiting on to make you happy? I'll be happy when I get married. <laughs> yeah, what about the person? I'll be happy when I get a divorce. Or I'll be happy when I get kids. I'll be happy when I get that house or that job or that position. No, you won't. You know what? You're as happy as you want to be. It is a choice. That's right here in my notes. It's your choice. Are you reading my notes? There you go, man. Forget the when and then thinking. Happiness is not getting whatever you want. Happiness is enjoying whatever you have. The fact is God wants you to enjoy what he's given you. He commands that you enjoy what he has blessed you with. 2 Timothy says, God has richly provided us with everything for our enjoyment. And I think it thrills the heart of God when he looks down and sees you enjoying what he's blessed you with. Not sitting off in a corner making a list of all the things you don't have that you want when everything he's blessed you with is just sitting there. You're a parent, you know that. I told first service uh, uh, just a month or so ago, little Archie, our, our grandson, turned one year old, and, and so the family was there, and we gave Archie some gifts, and, and one gift we gave him was a blue slide. You climb up on a little tight slide, you climb up on it, slide down. You can take it outside, Gail, and hook water up to it, and it turns into a water slide. And, and you know, at the time, Archie was just crawling, but I mean, he was, he was loving that slide. He was, he was trying to climb up the steps, and he was climbing up the slide the wrong way. And then Miss Ella Jane came in the room. She thought it was her slide, okay? And so she started in on it, and for no lie, for an hour, Ron, for an hour and a half, we just sat there in the living room, and we watched those two kids enjoy the gift that we gave them. And it was a thrill. Why? Because Ken... I had actually, I had picked that slide out. Now, Angie said, let's get him a slide, but I, well, I helped pick it out. And I actually paid for it when we left Sam's, all right? But I'll tell you, it was a thrill to watch my grandkids enjoy something that I had given to them. So how in the world can we learn contentment? You resist the temptation to compare yourself with someone else. And number two, you rejoice in all the good gifts God has given you. And then number three, you need to refocus on what's really going to last forever. G give your attention to permanent values. You, you need to reorganize your life around eternal priorities. L look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. We fix our attention not on the things that are seen, 
but on the things that are unseen. What can be seen only lasts for a short time, but what cannot be seen, that's what's going to last forever. So everything in this world is just temporary. Nothing you see is going to last forever. Everything in the world eventually is going to decay or rust or wear out or fall apart. Eventually, it's not going to exist because all possessions are temporary. And the only thing that lasts forever are things that you really can't see. Like your relationship with God. That's going to last forever. Your relationship with others. The values that God has given to us. You you know, really, the worst things about materialism is that it clouds our vision of God. We begin to think that that really all all there is in life are, are these things, these possessions that we're craving and wanting so much. But that's not reality. There is so much more to life than just stuff. Our perspective gets warped. Jesus told a story about this in the New Testament. He said there was this guy, really good businessman, hard worker, farmer. He had a bumper crop one year. I don't know what he was growing, maybe wheat. But he harvested all this wheat, and he he bundled it up, and he put it in his barns, and he filled his barns to capacity, and there was still wheat out in the field. So here's what this guy did. He thought to himself, what can I do? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns. Because all he could see was stuff, possessions, his stuff. It never occurred to that dude, maybe I could feed poor people with this extra wheat. Or maybe I could go down the road here and help my neighbors out. Or, you know what, maybe, maybe I could give this, this extra stuff to God and, and see God's kingdom grow. No, all he could think about is his stuff. You know what God said about this guy? God called him a fool. You fool. All you're consumed with are possessions, material things. Life is more than that. In fact, your soul is going to be required of you tonight. And then what are you going to do? How are all those things going to help you then? Well, they're not going to help you because things are just things. And they're not going to take, be taken into eternity. Look with me at Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Our culture says, if I only have a little, then all I'm worth is a little. That's not true, because the cross says you're worth a whole lot. I think we need to do a periodic checkup and ask ourselves some tough questions like, what am I really living for? Is the primary goal of my life just to get more stuff, to have more possessions? Is that the only way that that I'm keeping score in my life by, by my balance sheet and whether I have as much stuff as this guy over here? What do I think about the most? What do I talk about the most? What do I spend all of my time doing? 
happiness does not come from possessions. Happiness comes when you figure out what life is all about and you realize that God made you for a purpose. That God put you on planet earth at this time for a reason. And you figure out what that purpose is and the reason God created you. And then you begin to live your life fulfilling God's mission for your life. That's what brings joy into your heart. It's not stuff. It's doing what God made you to do. Not long ago, there was a funeral in Beverly Hills. A, a wealthy widow who was worth millions and millions of dollars died. And her friends gathered around her casket. And somebody said, it's so sad. She had so much to live for. Another friend corrected her and said, no, she had so much to live on. She had nothing to live for. And that brings up a pretty good question. What are you living for? Really step back and look at what are you living for? Are you just living for stuff? And to have more stuff? And to covet more stuff? If that's your life, man, dude, let me tell you, you're going to live a very disappointing life. And then when your life is over, <laughs> you're going to be real disappointed. I'm going to close with 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. It's, it's not on the screen, but here's what Paul says. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. You want gain in your life? You, you want your life to matter? Paul says it's two things. Being godly and learning contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. He went on to say this. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we're not going to take anything out of this world. Dot, dot, dot. So be content. Be content. There we have it, the Big Ten, values to build strong families, not coveting is one of them. Because Let me tell you, if your life is all about stuff, it's not going to end very well for you. It's got to be more than that. You, you, you need to be striving for the things that are not seen, the eternal things. And as I summarize all of these commandments, my challenge to you is, number one, you need to make sure your heart is right. Remember that rich young ruler guy? He said, how do I inherit eternal life, Jesus? Jesus said, you know the commandments. He listed a few of them. Kids said, yeah, 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 I got those, Lord. I have kept those since I was a kid. I made mention of this a couple of weeks ago. Really? <laughs> Man, let me tell you, I've just studied the Ten Commandments, and there, there is not a single person in this room or online who has kept all Ten Commandments. We've all fallen short of that. So you're just fooling yourself if you think you're okay the way you are. You're not. You need something else. You need Jesus in your life. Jesus is the only one who can set you free. He's the only one who can save you. If you've not given your heart to Jesus, that, that's where it needs to start. You need to give your life to Jesus. Number two, if you have given your life to Jesus, you need to make sure those people in your family, those people you're closest to, those people you love the most, they're ready to meet Jesus as well. Because it's not about passing on 
an inheritance to your kids and grandkids. In fact, you know what? You'd probably solve a whole lot more problems if you didn't leave them anything. Mom and Dad, don't listen to that, all right? I don't think Shreda and I are going to fight over the stuff you might leave us. But you know what? A lot of people do. You know what? It's a big deal. You, 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 leave them, you leave them a big inheritance, they're just going to blow it. You leave them a lot of stuff, they're just going to abuse it, sell it, get rid of it. The things that were precious to you don't matter to them. I'm talking mean now, aren't I? But it's true. No, the best thing you can give your kids and grandkids is a heritage of the Lord. Faith in Jesus. And so today as we end our service, I, could, I think everybody in here needs to be at the altar today praying for your own life and your relationship with God, but also your kids, your grandkids, that they come to know Jesus and that you give them something that's going to last. You pass your faith on. I, I said this in the first service. If, if you've got a kid or a grandkid that's away from God, I'll meet you at the altar and we'll pray for them. You know what? People came. Ask me to pray for their kids and grandkids that are away from God. It's serious business. So let's get serious and pray for them today. Heavenly Father, would you please do something special in this room as we give this invitation, this time of prayer? Lord, if there's anybody in here that needs to come and receive Jesus as their Savior, I pray that today they would come and be saved. Lord, for the rest of us, help us just to have the desire to come and intercede for our families our kids, our grandkids, our relatives that are away from you, don't know you. Lord, may we come today and just pray for them. Help us, dear Lord, to, to step out in faith and to come and receive the assurance that only you can give. We love you, Lord. I pray that your name would be glorified during this prayer time. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Praise team's going to sing. Step out. As soon as you stand up, just come and pray. Let's pray together this morning.
thank you for the Holy Spirit who has spoken the word of truth into our lives. Lord, for each one who has prayed today, I pray that you would hear and answer their prayers. Lord, as a church, we lift up those who just need encouragement today, divine healing today. I pray for Karen McKinney, Wayne Davis, James Harris, Mary Clark, Betty Newell, Bug Wagner, Brother Johnny. Lord, touch their bodies, bring healing to them. And Lord, for all of those connected to Kavanaugh that need spiritual help in their life, I pray, dear Lord, that you would just touch them, draw them to yourself. Lord, for all of our kids and grandkids and relatives who are away from you and running from you and maybe are acting like the prodigal son, we pray that they be called back to you, dear Lord, that they come home and receive your forgiveness and your grace. I love you, Lord. Love this church. Pray a blessing on everyone here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Ten values. We, we've we've completed it. We, we've done the ten commandments. You think we need to start over next week and do them again? Maybe. maybe. There, I, let me tell you, there is so much stuff in those ten commandments. I could preach them a dozen times and find new truth. Uh, you just need to keep reading them and uh, living by them, okay? Hey, when you walk out of the building today, make sure you drop your offering in one of those black boxes, or you can give online. Thank you for your faithful support to Kavanaugh Church and our new building. Uh, hey, it's coming along. Uh, it, it should have already been done by now, but you know the way things are. Uh, it's not done, and, uh, but it will be. I promise you it's going to be done, and we'll be in it before much longer. Pray that uh, God would finish it, fund it, and fill it up with people. All right? Good deal. Hey, at 6.30 tonight, we're not having online Bible study. It just wasn't able to happen this week. So what I'm encouraging you, you to do is just to go to our Facebook page. We have uh, the archives of all of our past Sunday school lessons. Watch, rewatch one of them tonight. Or maybe you missed one. Pick it up and watch it tonight at 6.30. 7 o'clock on Wednesday, we'll be back in here worshiping the Lord having uh, great things for all age groups, all right? Sound good? Please, 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 please stay out of trouble this week. Right. <laughs> See ya. You're dismissed.